It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time. It's time. It's time for the hard-hitting analysis you won't find anywhere else. Here's former Super Bowl winning scout Brian Broaddus and Bobby Belt. 10, 5, victory! Cowboys win! This is Love of the Star. 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 Welcome back to the Love of the Star podcast. I am Bobby Belt. Dallas Cowboys insider for 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, the radio flagship home of the Cowboys. Joined, as always, by former Super Bowl winning NFL scout Brian Broaddus. He is now the co-host of the G-Bag Nation on 105.3 The Fan, 2 to 7 p.m. Central, Monday through Friday. Uh, Brian, how you doing today? Doing excellent, Bobby. We've uh, got game week, huh? We've yeah. Finally, we finally made it, right? Finally got here. Finally made it. Really excited. And, and you know what? It's going to feel like an even odder week with you know when this podcast is dropping uh it's on labor day so that's already going to be a holiday like one day out of the week is already going to be a little weird and so it's going to be a little bit of a a funny shift over to it and this already feels a little weird for us uh our producer peyton russell he's off you know gallivanting around los angeles couldn't be bothered uh to be here with us today and so we're, we're flying solo but uh, but i think we've got it uh handled and Brian, before we, I, I want to play some audio from stuff we missed at the end of last week, um, just with Dak Prescott, Mike Parsons, and other people talking. Um, but it sounds like uh, the the Jason Peters question is going to be coming to a resolution soon. Uh, at the time of this recording, Ian Rappaport had re- reported on uh, Sunday morning that it was heading towards a deal being finalized. Uh, no details on that yet. I, I, it sounded like... There was positive momentum towards this. It just it felt like there was a it was a little bit of a slower progression than people are probably used to. I think they're used to, you know, negotiator Jerry sitting down and getting something down done in three hours. Uh, this one took a couple days, but ultimately it appears like we're heading towards Jason Peters as a Dallas Cowboy. And what do you think that means in terms of his role here, Brian? Yeah, I you know, uh, and you're right about that. And these sometimes these visits are a little bit, uh, you know, you mentioned that they get done, you know, quickly and then you get signing and then, you know, you move on that way. But uh, you're also at the mercy, these team doctors and stuff, they, uh, they're they doctors for a reason. They're not just doctors for an NFL team. They're doctors with patients and things like that. So sometimes getting physicals and getting all the doctors together could be a little problematic, uh, but the Cowboys got everything together there. They were they were satisfied with the with the physical. Uh, it moved on to uh, talking about numbers. Uh, Adam Pacifica, who does the contracts for the Cowboys, Stephen Jones, uh, involved with uh, Jason Peters' agents, and uh, you know trying to hammer something out. I was hearing the visit was very very positive. That Jason Peters wanted to be here. Uh, this was the place that he was really really looking at. But we also have to remember that Jason Peters played for $1.75 million last year. He's got a little bit of a leverage with the Dallas Cowboys because if something happens with Tyler Smith, if it doesn't work out with Tyler Smith, if they need to make a change from Tyler Smith, then that means Jason Peters is going to 
have to be uh, you know, in, in the lineup. So Jason Peters probably looking at it as he's got a little bit of that leverage. And, you know, if he's a starter, then his contract probably looks a little different than if he is a backup. My understanding right now is that even if Jason Peters signs it on Monday, it's not going to be a plug-and-play situation. They're going to yeah. need two to three weeks to get him ready. That's the word I got late Friday night as they were working on this. They said, listen, don't see this as an instant plug-and-play. Uh, they're going to they're gonna have to go with Tyler Smith for two to maybe three weeks before Jason Peters uh, could be ready to play. So, uh, you know, a lot going on there. A lot of things have to be done uh, before the signing gets uh, completed. But all indications from everything I heard Friday were all very, very positive. And as Ian Rappaport uh, was reporting, uh, at least the, uh, progressing in the right way. And, and maybe on, uh, you know, later on Monday night, we were going to hear something from Jason Peters. Which even if Jason Peters doesn't come in here to start uh, right away or even at all, I mean, I would I would venture guess that at some point in this season, Jason Peters is going to be needed um, just because of yeah. the way things happen on the offensive line with injuries and everything else. Even if he's not coming in here to start right away, he will at some point. Um, but he, even if he's not playing as large a role on the field as people are wanting, I got to think that that's at least valuable to have a guy there to kind of a, another additional veteran voice to be in Tyler Smith's ear and help to bring him along. Well, it, it it's, has to be very comforting for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, the front office and the coaching staff because of the, the, the history of what Jason Peters has been. Uh, you know, is he the, the player he was, you know, five to eight years ago? Probably not, but he is a guy that has made Pro Bowls. He's been a, a starter in this league for a long time. Uh, you know, he still played at a high level of the games I watched. I know talking to people in the scouting department there, you know, they agreed with my assessment about the player. And I, I think there's a lot of things to really like about this. But it, it just shows that Will McClay, Stephen Jones, Jerry Jones, interested in protecting their football team. They do not want to go into a season and not have a, a, a veteran guy uh, that could be a, a piece of going forward if, in fact, Tyler Smith does not work out or there seems to be some struggles or problems there. They were okay with, with Tyron Smith being the starter and Tyler Smith being the backup, but that was something that maybe that you would have to think about, oh, week eight, week nine, you know, you lose Tyron Smith for a, a game or two, and now Tyler Smith is in there playing. Uh, they don't have that that luxury anymore. Now it's Tyler Smith playing, so they needed to have a veteran presence uh, behind him, at least initially, uh, as we uh, get ready for the season. So that is the latest on Jason Peters. Um, by the time you guys are hearing this podcast, it may be resolved. It may be announced. We may have all the details on it. Uh, but as it stands now, that appears to be the direction it's heading. A little bit of an offshoot from that. Uh, like I said, Dak Prescott, Tyler Smith, Micah Parsons, they were all uh, talking to the media late last week. Uh, let's start off with Dak Prescott here first. Dak was uh, talking about the, you know, just – having the injury to Tyron Smith and Tyler Smith having to, to step in at left tackle 
and and how he currently feels about that situation with his blindside blocker. Optimistic and a guy that played tackle in college. You know, he came in and has been getting guard reps throughout training camp, but uh, will quickly move over and make that transition already has in these practices. And when you meet Tyler, you just hang around Tyler. You see the competitor, the fighter, um, just the, the football player in him, that grit. And that's what I expect to come out. I expect him to be prepared and the coaches and everybody get him, get him ready, get him prepared. Myself as, as well as the rest of the, uh, the offensive line and the team and his confidence. And as I said, what a, a week ago, I mean, I was in this position seven years ago. So uh, if there's anybody that's supporting the next man up and about that mentality, it's me. So I'm here to support him and give him the most confidence that he needs. So, Brian, I, I know it's easy. We know Dak is famous for his uh, stock answers. Um, but but are, are you buying the sincerity of what he's saying about Tyler Smith there? If you're Dak Prescott, are you, are you feeling okay about the situation of, hey, I can roll with Tyler Smith as my left tackle for a few weeks? Well, that's the leadership that you get from Dak Prescott. You know, he is going to talk positively about uh, his teammates. Uh, but deep down inside, and he's absolutely right that he was in the same spot oh, seven years ago and having to make a start, uh, it worked out very well for him uh, with a, a strong running game. And, uh, you know, that was, that was a, a really good way of, of getting him started. And he understands that. So... Um, I, I believe everything he's saying, but like I said, deep down inside, I feel like that he knows that his tackle situation is compromised, and he, you know, he's going to do everything he can to encourage Tyler Smith. But he also knows when he drops back to pass, or uh, he's taking a shotgun snap and throwing the football, he knows he probably doesn't have the luxury that he once had when he had Tyron Smith over there. So. It's going to take some getting used to. He, he went through it a little bit last year when Lyle Collins was out for those several weeks. He knew what was going on on that right tackle spot. So this is something that he's accustomed to. It's just in his mind he knows he has to be supportive, but he also has to be very aware of how long he can hold the football and where the protection is going to come from in order to keep him upright. Yeah, and I think that even though that's that's a little bit of a stock quarterback, you know, uh, playing the politician sort of answer there from, from Dak Prescott, I still think what he says there where he says you see the competitor, the fighter, the football player in him, that grit, I think that's all – those are all things we would say are true about Tyler Smith. I think those are all characteristics that, you know, we've seen even in the media side in Tyler Smith that has us going – we believe he's got it in him to make this work because of those aspects of him, his football character and his competitiveness and his smarts, his intelligence. He seems like he's a very good student. He is. And, you know, there was what he was going through, trying to learn the position, you know, working with, you know, playing left guard and now, you know, kind of really throwing all that aside and any kind of real uh, advancement he made as a guard he now has to revert back to his days at Tulsa. And, you know, I, I remember studying tape of this kid, he, you know, playing at Ohio State in the shoe. I mentioned that just because of competition. You know, there's some good competition, uh, you know, that, that he's had to face over the years. But, you know, going to lining up against Ohio State and having some success there, you know, I, I think helps him, you know, get back to that you know, left tackle. And, you know, let's be honest here. Every one of these Cowboys defensive ends are going to try and help him. They're yeah. going to talk to him. I guarantee you, uh, you know, Dorrance Armstrong, 
Hank Lawrence, Fowler, everybody that lines up at defensive end are going to try and help him. And, and you know that he's going to study. He's going to figure things out. He's going to watch tape. Uh, he's going to study these Tampa uh, rushers. And he's going to ask a lot of questions. And, but it, it does come down to him, you know, one week from, uh, from you know, on, really on Sunday night and going out there and being comfortable. But the fact that he has played left tackle in his career – I think I think that helps him a lot. It's not like he's a center that's having to move out or a guard that's having to move out. He's a kid that's done this uh, in his life, so he understands the, what's ahead of for him. Tyler Smith was uh, also talking to the media and was asked about uh, the the key to his growth, how how he's been able to progress, and knowing that there was a learning curve for him. I, I think everybody knew that when they picked him. The, the Cowboys were very upfront about that, about, hey, this is a guy that, that you know, he's not a finished product. He's going to take some time. Um, so in terms of trying to realize that growth in a quicker fashion, uh, Tyler Smith was asked about uh, that progress and, and the keys to that. Having confidence in what you're doing, how you're being coached. Like, you know, uh, everybody's strong, everybody fast. Like, you know, it's the NFL. Like, everybody's a gifted athlete. But, like, falling on your fundamentals is huge for me. Like, you know, tr- like having trust that, you know, I'm going against the best guys to get me better every day. And I'm having the best coaching to get me better. Is like, it's been a huge part of my development. Like, just trusting what I'm being told, trusting what Zach tells me to do, t- trusting what Tyron tells me to do, what Terrence tells me to do, Terrence tells me to do in certain situations. That's really helped me because I know, like, you know, I know it's all working towards something. And that is stuff that I I need to incorporate into my game to be successful. So that's been huge for me for sure. And I think he's right there. And that sounds like such a simple thing, like, oh yeah, trust your coaches. But like that's been that that is a problem at times for some guys. I think that a guy who if you want to look at an example of a young, talented player who has not had the trust in the coaching staff and the coaching staff hasn't had the trust in him, look on the other side of your second round pick from last year, Kelvin Joseph, and, and yeah. see where a lack of trust in, in what you're being taught gets you. And so I think that's a very big deal, and, and it, it speaks to, again, the how open he is to, to learning and how open he is to coaching. And I think you, you've seen that on the field, where even though he's not a, a finished product, everything, every single time we seem to see him is getting a little better. There's always progress, no matter how large or small it is. I just remember last year in week two, when all eyes were on Terrence Steele, uh, that game against the Chargers, and you yeah. just ready for Joey Bosa to come screaming off the edge. And they had a great game plan. They chipped him. They cut him. They didn't really expose uh, you know, Steele to a whole lot of one-on-one early in that game. And I felt like it helped him. I could see the same thing happening here. I, 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 I just really do believe in my heart and just my scouting senses. When you watch him play – you know, he was a better player than Terrence Steele coming out of college. I'm, I'm sorry, he just was. And so when you have the traits, when you have the strength, when you have – I think this kid is going to – there's going to be some times where it's not going to look pretty. Sure. But I think he's got the mental makeup to put things aside and continue to push forward. You know, we've seen guys in the past, and I bring up a name like Chaz Green, and Chaz Green just wasn't mentally tough enough even though Chaz Green had, I remember, a, a really a decent game against the 49ers, and it was like, oh, well, maybe there's something there, that kind of thing. But, you know, it just, when it, at the end of the day, he just wasn't mentally tough. And I think this kid is mentally tough, that if something does happen to him bad, you're going to see him bounce back and be able to play, uh, play pretty well. 
Brian, from your experience as a talent evaluator, somebody who, who's worked uh, around the game of football for a long time and has had to evaluate these positions and everything else, uh, Tyler Smith and that high ankle sprain, uh, the fact that it's his left ankle as opposed to his right, do you think that makes things more or less difficult uh, for him playing left tackle, that, that it's the left ankle instead of the right ankle? Well, that's a great question because as a left tackle, that means the left foot's back, the right foot's inside. So he's going to kick with his left uh, foot to get back, to get depth, to get width. And then his right foot becomes like his plant foot or his base. And then that's the ability. Now, if he has to adjust back inside, can he push off that left foot to get his weight transferred to go back inside? Uh, I mean, that's a... You know that's that's we're just we'll see how that really because if if I'm a defensive end I'm attacking his edge and I'm going to keep making him think that he's got to get with he's got to get with and then I'm going to come back inside underneath and see if he can in fact do what I just said plant and then redirect back to the inside if he can't do that then Tyler's going to have to set a little shorter and just and be able to you know, to keep that defender from going inside on him. But then again, that opens up stuff to the outside. So, he, you know, how comfortable he feels uh, with his kick, his slide, uh, will tell a lot of how well he's able to block. Uh, Michael Parsons also spoke to the media, and I really liked this quote. He was asked about not only the Tyron Smith injury, but also, you know, you lose Amari Cooper this offseason, you lose Lyle Collins. So was asked to weigh in on the Cowboys losing so many offensive pieces and how that might have an impact on the defense, and this is what Micah said. To be honest, the offense has nothing to do with us, and whoever lost is lost. We can only focus on who's in the room. I don't care if the offense scores zero points. I know we can score on defense. I believe that's how good we are, so if there's games we got to win the game, that's what we got to do. And I think that that's something that we're all talking about early in the season. Defense is probably going to have to win you a lot of games. So funny, man. It's 365 days from where we were last year. This <laughs> yeah. time. If we were doing the love of the star, uh, we would be talking about 40-burger offense. How are you going to stop 11 personnel? Boy, the Cowboys look like they could sure run the ball. Dak Prescott's going to be an MVP. Uh, boy, CeeDee Lamb, Coop, man, these guys, Gallup, they're going to get it all done. You know, well, how about the defense, Brian? Well, you know what? If that could be top 15, if they don't give up a bunch of points, you know, I maybe get a couple turnovers here and well, get some pressure. It, it's the complete opposite. You know, it's the complete opposite of what we thought about the offense-defense last year. And the defense, it's good enough to carry it. But you also have to find a way to score in this league. You have to find a way to put points on the board. Mike is right. You can score on defense, but you could also help put them in position for short fields. I think that's where Turpin's involved as well. Defense, you know, if you could get them to punt a bunch, you know, you get off the field in three and outs, Turpin's got the ability to flip field when it comes to as a returner. So short fields, three and outs, that will help Dak Prescott in this offense more than those guys will even know. You're listening to the Love of the Star podcast. The Love of the Star is an Odyssey podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, Brian, it is game week, as we've talked about. So we're going to start previewing this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team a little bit. Um, I think we'll be able to get into some uh, deeper analysis as the week goes on when we start finding out about guys like how healthy is Tristan Wirfs? Is that outside shot of Chris Godwin playing? Is he actually going to be able to play? Um, and just where they're at with, with some of those things. And also when we get a chance to uh, hopefully talk to to some folks who who cover the team there in Tampa Bay later on this week. So so we'll have some deeper stuff for you there, but thought it would be a good idea to just start off, get a, a an opening analysis out there. And the first thing, obviously, coming into this, this has been a very dramatic offseason for the Buccaneers. Uh, Tom Brady retires, then, oh, he comes back a month later. A few weeks later, Bruce Arians retires. Uh, Todd Bowles steps up. He's, he's now the head coach. Um, first time he's had a head coaching job since he lost his gig with the Jets at the end of the 2018 season. Um, the Bucks were able to retain Byron Leftwich, a guy who was a hot coaching candidate this offseason. Um, and, and so a lot of drama. They're finally back able to play football. Um, but there's a lot of injuries on that offensive line, too. Before we go into the specifics of, of what's changed or what we're expecting here, Brian, I know you got a chance to go back and watch this team a little bit. What were some of your, your takeaways that, that you, know, um, you, you, you saw in film from some of their games last year? Yeah, I saw the one series that uh, Tom Brady was able to get in in the preseason against uh, Indianapolis, and you know it was uh, you know it was it was very clean for Tom. They they had uh, the starters for the most part. They're struggling, as you mentioned, Bobby, at the offensive tackle spot. So uh, they had uh, you know like Josh Wells and guys like that playing tackle and stuff like that, but. But overall, though, it was uh, it was pretty clean for him. He was able to get rid of the ball you know, nicely. It looked like he was very comfortable, you know, no uh, rust or anything like that for a guy that had been off for 11 days. But then I went back and watched uh, the Saints games from uh, last year. I was really curious about what Dennis Allen did to Tom Brady to, you know, keep him off the scoreboard uh uh, you know, towards the end of the season, there was a nine to nothing game, and then there was a game that the that the, the Tampa lost in New Orleans. Uh, I think it was week uh, eight, is mm-hmm. what it was. But you know, there wasn't anything I was expecting. I was like, well, how is Dennis Allen doing this? And I thought, is he attacking the middle? Is he bringing blitzes? You know, they. I think there were some things. There was some solid coverage uh, by the Saints. I felt like that they really didn't give Mike Evans and. You know, Chris Godwin, a lot of room. Godwin got hurt in the uh, second New Orleans game. Yeah, near so, the end of the year. Yep, near the end of the year. So, but they didn't give they didn't give Godwin or or Evans a lot of room to to catch the ball. Uh, they had some really bad drops uh, along the way in those games. Uh, Gronk had a couple of bad drops. Tom Brady had a uh, a couple of misses. They had a ball go off Leonard Fournette that was an interception. So it really wasn't what I thought. I was thinking it was Dennis Allen is disguising coverages and he's bringing blitzes and he's dropping guys and he's you know replacing them with blitzers off the edge and all that. You know, there was pretty much 
four-man rush, twist stunts inside. But a lot of this was really, really self-inflicted stuff. With And the thing you, you watch with Brady is, especially against these the Saints, he threw the ball almost exclusively in the middle of the field. There was a point in time, though, where uh, he was feeling a little bit of pressure and he was having to get the ball to Fournette in the flat and try and, and, and work it that way and just to get the ball out quick. But it, it wasn't anything that was like, uh, you know, I was really surprised. I was thinking, oh, downfield shots, downfield shots. There was only a couple in these games, but most of the stuff was attacked either underneath or in the middle of the field. And like I mentioned, there were some unfortunate drops along the way. There were some turnovers along the way. They had a sack or two in these games, but it wasn't anything that you would say, oh, well, you know, Dallas is going to scheme this. They're going to try and do this. And I do feel like, though, that with Brady, and we'll get into it more during the week, uh, the further we get along. I do feel like, though, that this is where you have to figure out how to attack the middle of that pocket, you know, especially yeah. with with a center that's in his second year and then a rookie left guard. I, I think you absolutely have to make those guys play in this football game and, and deal with the pressure through the middle of that pocket. Yeah, and, and I think that's a great point is the, is the interior of the offensive line where they're going to have to break things up because the Bucks are opening this season with it's, – it's an entirely new interior offensive line. Uh, their left guard, Ali Marpet, he retired this offseason. Their right guard, Alex Kappa, he left for Cincinnati in free agency. And then Ryan Jensen suffered what's been described as a serious knee injury in the early part of training camp, but it's been very vague. They have not specifically talked about what the injury was or what the timetable is. At first, it sounded like he'd be out for the year. Now they're saying until at least November. So some some odd discussion going sounds on around like that. Very much, yeah, it sounds very much like Tyron uh, Smith. Yeah. Be back for the meat of the schedule, maybe. It, and then maybe not at all. Exactly. And uh, so... You've got their free agent addition, Shaq Mason from the Patriots. He's going to step in. He'll play right guard. So the rookie second rounder, Luke Gudecki, is taking the other guard spot. And the 2021 third rounder, Robert Hainsey, is going to take center. Uh, but Gudecki and Hainsey, these are two guys who have never started an NFL game, and they're both transitioning from tackle. So Gudecki played tackle in college. He'll be playing guard. And then Hainsey was playing tackle last year. He's going to bump inside, play center. And that's he's been banged up during training camp. Um, it's not just guys who have been hurt on the starting offensive line. Some of their depth, they've lost guys um, for the season like uh, Aaron Stinney. He's won. One of their guards who was supposed to compete at right guard. He's ending out. He's or at left guard. He's out for the season uh, with a knee injury. So they've been banged up pretty significantly on the interior. Uh, their tackles, Tristan Wirfs, obviously one of the best in the game. Donovan Smith, those guys are back. That's great for them. But Tristan Wirfs has been dealing with an oblique strain the last couple of weeks. He may not be 100% against the Cowboys. And that injury comes after he spent the whole offseason basically rehabbing an ankle injury uh, that required surgery on, uh, I believe, his two torn ligaments in his right ankle. Um, So a lot of questions on the offensive line as a whole, but especially there in the interior. So for you, how how big are guys like Oso Digizua and, uh, you know, Tristan Hill and... More specifically, something we saw some success with Micah Parsons coming up that A-gap and blitzing up there. How how big is that going to be for Dallas's success in this game? I think it's going to be huge, Bobby. And uh, and you mentioned guys like Godecki, uh, you know, coming out of college. You know, he's a guy that when you watched him play at Central Michigan, 
he was a nice player. Uh, you know, he's he's one of those guys that I kind of felt like to use a little bit better run blocker as that right tackle, yeah. Uh, as uh, as opposed to a pass blocker, because I thought he was a little bit like one of those guys. It's just kind of a hand fighter. You know, he, he just kind of stays attached. He's gonna he's gonna grab you. He's gonna hold you. Uh, you know, I mean, there's things about him that are really really you know good about his game yeah uh the demeanor i thought was really i mean he was a tough kid when you watch him you know he's from a, a, t- a little town in wisconsin so you you kind of you know you see those kids and they battle and they they're they're, they're they do a great job but you know as a tackle i i didn't see a really a super powerful guy when you're starting to play inside you know you need to be have a little bit of that so uh, we'll see. We'll see if he has the knee bend, the flexibility. These are things he kind of struggled with when he was, you know, there at Central Michigan as a tackle. Because uh, I said, like I said, I felt like he was a better run blocker than pass. But I'm going after him. I, I, I'm I'm going to make Leonard Fournette have to pass block in this thing too, Bobby. Is what I want to do. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to cover up these guards and these centers, and I'm going to try and run. Uh, I'm going to try and run Parsons through an A gap or B gap and see if, in fact, I could get him home off a uh, off a blitz and see if Leonard Fournette is good enough to pick him up as a pass blocker. Because there's been some times where you watch Leonard Fournette, he has struggled at times catching the football. He's a powerful runner. There's no question about that big guy. But he is not the best pass blocker. So I'm, I'm going to take my best player – and put him on a guy or try and match him up against a Leonard Fournette, who I know is not the best pass blocker as for running backs, or I'm going to try and put him on a, a rookie um, a rookie guard that doesn't play with a whole lot of power. Uh, but he's a, you know, but he's a guy that, that uh, you know, he's a, he's, he's a bigger guy, but he just doesn't play with a lot of that power. And I think that's something you can, you can surely take advantage of. It is a little bit of uh, pot calling the kettle black to talk about the questions on the Buccaneers' offensive line, uh, yeah. because obviously we know we there you got issues. your own issues. Yeah, yeah. There, there are plenty of issues over here in Dallas. You you had enough trouble last year just blocking Vita Vea, um, and and so when you look at Vea's over on that side, that linebacker core is really strong. Joe Tryon, Devin White, Levante David, Shaq Barrett. Um, we know they've got players in that secondary. You know, Antoine Winfield is somebody that Cowboys fans became very familiar with during the draft process that they were very high on. Um, obviously, with that kind of firepower that they can bring, Akeem Hicks is there with, with the Buccaneers as well. Um, do you think this basically will just come down to who is who step, which patchwork offensive line, I guess, steps up in a bigger way? Basically, Whichever offensive line performs better with, with their, you know, group of misfits, as as you know, Rod Marinelli used to call his defense. Does that ultimately decide who wins this football game? Do you think? Yeah, Bobby, I kind of feel like whatever group, whatever offensive line is able to get second level blocks as well in the running game, because I think both teams have outstanding linebackers. When you include, you know, Anthony Barr and Vanderesh and Parsons, you know, you mentioned, you know, with David White, Tryon, you know, I mean, you mentioned those guys there. You know, Tryon's more of a rusher than he is a linebacker. But man, I'll tell you what, you know, Shaq, you know, 
Barrett and those guys, I mean, they've got some guys that can flat run and go make play. So I kind of feel like whatever group does the better job of securing not only these down players, but then also making sure that they get a body up on those linebackers. Because if you let either team's linebackers go in this game, there's they will make every single tackle. And whether it's you know Parsons, Van Der Esch on the Cowboys side, White and David can make every single tackle for the Buccaneers. You've got to make sure you've got these guys blocked up. This one might come down to as well to the cornerbacks and the nickel players. You know, last year we saw the Cowboys have some success throwing the ball against this Buccaneers secondary. And so we'll see uh, if, in fact, if they can go back to that. I think they're going to have to be able to run the ball a little bit, probably going to have to run it on the edge a little bit more than inside because of Vita Vea and Hicks and guys like that. But uh, it, it just you just can't be one-dimensional, I don't think, in this football game. Even though last year, you know, this game, too, also came down and missed a missed extra point, a missed field goals, stuff like that. I mean, just giving points away like that was, was very, very tough. And you have two teams that are pretty evenly matched. I, I think one of the things that we've all been impressed with Tyler Smith on, some of the things we've seen in practice from him, even as a young player and a raw football player, is he seems to do a good job teaming up with with the other guys on the offensive line and reading these twists and these stunts and these games that, that they like to throw at him. Is that an area where we might see Dallas have an advantage, especially on the interior? You've got Connor McGovern, yes. Zach Martin, Tyler Biotish. Yes. A lot of inexperience on the interior for Tampa Bay. Is that an area where you might try and exploit that and go, hey, let's throw some twists at them, see how ready they are to handle some of uh, these advanced rush schemes? Yeah, no question. You know, when you, when you have a when you have an inexperienced center and you have an inexperienced uh, uh, guard, uh, a rookie guard playing here, I, I am absolutely putting as much movement up front. And I'm, you know, like I said, I'm using the combos of twist stunts and then using Parsons behind that stunt to, you know, get right in the middle of that pocket and go right off that twist stunt and then get on top of Brady. When you bring him off the edge. It's a little bit of a further run for him to have to make, and I, I think when if you know going against Smith or Werfs, if they you know if he in fact can play, I, I expect him to play. But if in fact you know th- those are tough, those are tough guys to run around. So I'm taking him, I'm running him through the middle of the pocket, and I'm making sure that Brady sees him. You know, if Brady wants to throw the ball to the outside or or throw it over the middle, I want him to see where Micah Parsons is because that will take his eye level. I mean, if, if he knows that he's got Leonard Fournette blocking Micah Parsons, that might be a, a, a something of him having to get the ball out quick, and maybe you can make a play on the ball with him just trying to get it, get it out of his hand. You're listening to the Love of the Star podcast. The Love of the Star is an Odyssey podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Brian, it is now time for our favorite part of the show where we turn things over to our listening audience for their Twitter mailbag. Uh, First question here comes from John. Uh, Offensive packages you hope to see the Cowboys run against Tampa Bay. For me, 20 personnel would be interesting. And um, uh, for for those of you that uh, 20 personnel, wow, that would be uh, 
pretty two backs. Yeah, two yeah. backs, no tight end. Yeah, that that would be interesting. I'm sitting here thinking about that. So that would be no Schultz, no yeah. Ferguson. Interesting. I don't know that it'd be my favorite though. Uh, so no. you go out there with 20 personnel. I'm assuming that would be Zeke, Pollard, Tolbert, Brown, uh, Lamb would be yeah. the grouping there. Uh, Brian, are, are there any certain uh, personnel groupings you think the Cowboys could take advantage of um, going up here against the Buccaneers? You know what? I think they had some really nice success with their 11 personnel stuff last year. Uh, but, you know, if, in fact, Ferguson is a guy that could be a tough cover, Schultz could be a tough cover, uh, they – they ran several plays last year where Dak was on the boot, the waggles and the stuff where they actually, they had no really running, a rushing attack, but they still went play action on stuff. And, you know, it kind of held, uh, it held Tampa Bay in place from when going back and watching the game. So uh, I think the 12 personnel stuff, especially if, if Ferguson becomes a tough cover, you know, if all of a sudden they don't have somebody that can, you know, Antoine Winfield is a shorter guy. So, you know, and then Sean Murphy Bunting is the nickel there. So, you know, could they, could you get some matchups where, you know, you have, uh, you know, their safeties, whether Winfield, Evans, you know, they've got Keanu Neal on their team too, uh, that he made their roster. So we know Keanu Neal is not a very good cover guy. So if in fact that he's on the field, I kind of find a way to to match that up uh, if, in fact, that I don't feel like that, that he can cover very well because we've seen it with our own, own eyes. He's a better forward player, better around the line of scrimmage. We know he can create turnovers, but if you can get him in coverage, that's 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 a problem for for uh, for Tampa Bay right there. Yeah, and I, I think I'm with you, though, on the fact of I, I think 12 personnel is what I'd feel most comfortable running out of, especially just with the questions along the offensive line. Well, and, it could help the line. Yeah, exactly. The, the questions on the offensive line. And and frankly, I trust this tight ends room as pass catchers right now more than the receivers. Yeah. There, There's sure just do. more to be shown there. So I think either way you, you slice it, whether you look at it as better help for the offensive line in the run game and extra blocking help, you know, keeping an extra block or whatever else, or – just for the fact that I think you've got more reliable pass catchers, I think I'd look for 12 personnel. For, for those of you who wonder when you hear the, the personnel grouping, when you hear the, the first number is the number of running backs on the field, the second number is the number of tight ends on the field, and you get you know five skill position players, so whatever remaining outside of those numbers end up, you get receivers. So 12 personnel would be one running back, two tight ends, Two receivers. So, just in case there's any of you that are, are curious, no, it's about a good job of explaining that. Yep. So, uh, next question here comes from John. He says, "Do you see a potential veteran wide receiver signing after Week One, uh, Brian? After Week One, I believe uh, the contracts are non-guaranteed. Um, right. So you don't have to. So there, there's a benefit there in waiting till Week One. Also allows them to assess where their receiver group is at." Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a, a play they were making as they said, hey, let's roll with it this way because we can find out what we have in our group. And then also, if we do need to go get somebody, it, it's not a guaranteed contract. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, but I also don't think that there's anybody that they're just itching to sign like, like they they sort of were with somebody like Jason Peters where they kind of had their eyes on it the whole time. Um, I think they'll, they'll, to use an old phrase, they'll let the game come to them. I, I think they'll just kind of lay back and, and see where things develop. I'm going to say they're not, Bobby, because I feel like then in the next week, maybe week two or week three, like you've talked about, they get Michael Gallup back. Yeah. So no, I and I I don't. I think this. 
I think this tackle move is to protect them, uh, you know, for them, for Tyler Smith and going forward. I think that's the only move that they really, really want to make right now. When we talk about you know them laying back and seeing if certain receivers are going to step up, Brian, if I could tell you, you get to pick one of these guys really steps up and 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 comes into what they believe he can be. Would you prefer that be Noah Brown, Simi Fajoko, or Dennis Houston? I would rather it be man. I'll tell you what, because Dennis Brown, he got a ton of reps, and I couldn't. Dennis Houston. Dennis Houston. I'm yep. sorry, Dennis Houston, and I I couldn't. I just was struggling with that one. And so that would be very surprising to me. Uh, but I think I think Noah Brown, and I'll say this because Noah Brown being on the field, I think could be a good thing because he is a good blocker. He's a bigger body. So if you put him on the field, you can do more things with him. I feel like you could use him in the running game as far as uh, on, the, uh, on the edge, bring him in motion, have him set. Uh, crack toss stuff like that he's more than comfortable but if he's able to catch passes I think that gives you that guy that just it, it reminds me very much and this is going to be a throwbacks name but remember Heinz Ward at Pittsburgh yes one of Hines the best Ward, blocking receivers there was okay if you're a, a, a great blocking receiver or you're a guy that's willing to block and get your nose a little bloodied and dirtied and I think Noah Brown is. When you watch him run crack toss, I mentioned that earlier. You know that that you know everybody down down around. You know here come the you know here comes big bodies out on the edge on the perimeter. Yep. Noah Brown set the edge. You know Noah Brown is very very capable of being that kind of player. Then Noah Brown's capable of faking the crack toss and running right across the formation and, and being open if they you know fake the sweep and him being right there. So. I think I would like Noah Brown to be that guy because I, I think I could get more out of the position with his blocking and his catching. I, I think, I, I mean, and obviously it'd be great if they could get any of them to step up. I'd really like to see Simi Fajoko step up into that just because I think when you look at, obviously, the physical traits, the size-speed combination, it's so impressive that if you could get the consistency out of him, I think that that'd be a really tough matchup for them. They'd be able to do some... Uh, unique things with Fajoko. They need somebody to step up, and I and I honestly it's got to be somebody. It's got to be somebody. Yeah, yeah. Next question here uh, from Greg. He says, "Do you envision more designed runs and more running in general from Dak this year? Obvious risks, but would help the offense provided he can stay on the field." Brian, I don't know about you. I think we did see a guy who was more willing to run um, this training camp. Uh, I'll say yes and no. Yes, I think we're going to see more running in general than we did last year, and I think we're going to see more effective running. Um, No, I don't necessarily think we're going to see more design runs. I don't think they're going to put him in a position to draw up a play for him to run. Uh, And in fact, it is kind of funny that they were so adverse to, you know, so adverse to him running all last year, except on the very last play of the playoff game where it mattered the most. Then they said, yeah, sure, go, go, you know, take off. Sure, we'd love that. Um, but I think in general, we will see him run more, and they're, they're not going to discourage him from that. Uh, but I don't think they're going to draw plays up necessarily for him to run the ball. No, and other than quarterback draws, maybe on the goal line, sure. stuff like that. Uh, but I do feel like that you will see Dak Prescott take more chances or opportunities to run the ball. I don't think he's going to be – I think it's – I think it's – you know, if it's shotgun, things start to break down. He runs forward. He gets six, seven yards. Get down. I don't see Dak stiff arming people and stuff like that. Even though I love when Dak Prescott plays with physicality, 
because I think everybody in the stadium, I think the team gets fired up. I think when they see their quarterback, you know, making plays, you know, sacrificing his body in order to make plays, I always think that's a good thing. And I think that that they Dak has put a lot of this injury stuff, I believe, behind him. So I'm I'm I want to get back to the Dak Prescott of 16, 17, that kind of uh, that kind of player. Next question here from Bill Naylor. Uh, he says, love what y'all are doing here. Very much appreciate that, Bill. Uh, he Thank says, you. on the defensive side, there's been a lot of focus on Micah, um, Sam Williams, Anthony Barr, secondary. It seems like it's been a very quiet training camp regarding number 90, DeMarc Lawrence, obviously. Yeah. Uh, very little talk about him uh, or from him. What are your thoughts and expectations uh, for DeMarcus this year? DeMarcus Lawrence looks trimmed down. He's lost some weight, um, and, and he looks much slimmer I don't know if that's about trying to become quicker since, since that's clearly what you need to win off the edge these days um, with how quick quarterbacks get it out. I know the Cowboys have wanted him to develop more of an inside move to try and counteract some of those things. Um, but I think overall he's looked good out here at camp. I, I don't know that he's been jaw-dropping, but he's looked good, and I think the team is definitely excited about the prospects of, okay, Dan Quinn can have him for a full season now, and that's why they were willing to make the concessions they did and rework in his contract this offseason. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and I think you're you're dead on about the weight loss slimming down. Um, you know, I, I'll say this, though, uh, about him, and, and we're really excited on, I know on our show during the week uh, on 105.3, the fan every Thursday at 4.30, Central time, uh, we're going to get to talk to Demarcus Lawrence. Ooh, that, uh, so that's, that's a good our, one. Yeah, so that's our weekly player guest. So tune in, uh, whether through the Odyssey app or Twitch or YouTube, uh, 105.3 The Fan, every Thursday, 4.30 Central. Uh, we'll try and uh, make uh, make him laugh a little bit, but I'm sure <laughs> he'll be really honest about uh, where he is and where the defense is and where the team is. But it has been a really quiet camp for him. I I say that because, I mean, I wasn't at every practice. I wasn't at the Chargers practices, and I wasn't at the one Bronco practice. Now, maybe he showed up in those, and you know. but other than that, he didn't play any really the preseason games or anything like that. So he's going to be fresh and ready to go when uh, this thing kicks off next uh, Sunday night. Generally, uh, believe he's still got something left in the tank, though. I know a lot of people tank. Uh, not to turn a phrase there. Uh, I know a lot of people have the questions about how effective he can be as a sack artist in this day and age, just w- with the way the game's changed and he's getting older and he's getting more banged up. But you still think he has something left in the tank here? Absolutely. I think this is where Micah Parsons. I think this is where Osa. I think this is where he gets help from Barr, uh, Armstrong, Fowler. I, I think. You know, he it's this is going to be especially I think there's going to be a lot of attention being paid to Micah Parsons. And if if you put tank and we start to watch the all 22 after games and he's one on one, I guarantee you there's going to be some times where he's going to win. And I think that number of sacks was it last year, six or so, I think. Maybe I'm wrong about yeah, that. Yeah, I believe – I mean, I know he got a lot there crammed yeah. in at the end of the yeah. season just with the limited the time that he had. Exactly. Um, so three, yeah. He had three, but he had a, they all came okay. in like the last three weeks of the season. Okay, so three sacks. I, it was Randy that had the six. Yes, but, yes. So, so yeah, I, I, I would say he would probably double that and maybe add a couple more. Maybe, maybe you get eight sacks out of him this year. I think they'd be thrilled with that. 
All right, well, that does it for us. Uh, we will have uh, practices this week that we'll be able to report from, uh, and, and obviously we'll be keeping a close eye on that injury report, not just in Dallas, but also in Tampa Bay, seeing about Tristan Wirfs and Chris Godwin and guys like that. Uh, but until Wednesday, we will talk to you guys later.